What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, Join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Well, yeah, that's my news of the week. What about you? Uh, I saw Moulin Rouge, uh, the live musical on this past Saturday, just like randomly. Like my buddy's fiance was sick, so I got to just like take her ticket. And it's phenomenal. If you ever get the chance to see it live, run, don't walk. I imagine it's a total fucking spectacle. Oh, yeah, nonstop. It's like an onslaught of just, like, bright lights and musical numbers and all this shit going on. It's insane. And very different soundtrack from the movie. So even if you're an avid fan of the film, you'll get a lot new out of this. I mean, that's that's kind of what that whole brought... That's what that musical mm-hmm. should be. It should be an absolute extravaganza. It's a fucking show. They put so many new songs in this, and, like, I probably... Two thirds of the music that was added is songs that came out since the movie came out. So they're just keeping it contemporary, but like, like it works. You could do that with yeah. that musical, like every 10 years, just change the same the soundtrack. Totally There's this incredible number to Chandelier by Sia. I don't want to give too much away, but like, oh my God, blew me away. Ooh. All right. You want to get into Let's this? Let's hit it. All right. Hit that intro. Ow! Two friends named Corey and Steve like talking about films and TV. They thought, hey, what if this was a show? That's how we got here. Now you know. Wait, what's the name? That sounds terrible. Go on. That sounds terrible. Go on. Hope you stick around and have some fun right after our intro song. That sounds terrible. Go on. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another fantastic episode of That Sounds Terrible. Go on. I'm your host, Corey. I'm your host, Steve. Steve. Corey. Oh, my God, dude. It's so good to see you. Hey, you too. Isn't it great to see us, audience, on the podcast? We look great. So does our audience, our fans, our audience. So does our our audience. audience. Our fake audience, because of all those bots that we uh, use to to listen to our podcast to boost our numbers up. Just a little bit, but you know, I'm sorry, I've been distracted. See, I'm writing a letter here. Oh yeah, to you, to me. Yes, to you. Um, you know, you know how I like to write to you all the time. Oh letters. yes, all the time. Yeah, but this this recent letter, um, I just wanted to direct it to you in a different way. Uh, so I started it off kind of simple. Okay. Uh, dear Evan Hansen. Okay. Okay. Uh, interesting. Interesting take on my name. Go on. Right, dear Evan Hansen. Wait, your name is actually Steve, and I wrote this in pen, but I'm going to send it anyways. Much like what they did with this fucking film. That's right, folks. We're tackling 2021's Dear Evan Hansen. This movie exists. Yeah, it's uh, it's something. This is definitely one of the movie musicals of all time. 
so many thoughts on this of where this went wrong of what this should have done better but before i get into that steve i've got a question for you oh yeah what's that don't i know you what an unexpected question i guess i would have to rebut with don't you let's find out yep that's right folks we got three questions here for you written by yours truly i'll be asking steve and he'll answer and then i'll give my own answer to my own question uh we're going to start off a little bit light here though given that you know this is a film based off of a Broadway musical. Steve, do you have a favorite film based off of a Broadway musical? And if so, which one? Ooh, good question. I absolutely do. I mean, you're going to agree with this, but like audience, hear me out. Uh, Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street, the 2007 Tim Burton film. It is one of my favorite musicals. It's not like my top, top favorite, but it's like top three easy. But in terms of translating something from the stage to the film, that's a very difficult task to do. And this understood both mediums way better than anyone any other film that I've seen does Burton definitely gave it like this you know standard German expressionist gothic vibe uh but also it embraces the fact that it's a film in that it's such a violent story and when you're showing that on stage you know there's obviously certain limitations to what you can present it's like the blood is often presented in form of like a red scarf or, you know, like something that just represents blood in the audience understand because it's live theater. It is what it is. The movie gets super heck of violent with it, which it absolutely should. It's about a guy who kills a bunch of people and turns them into meat pies. It feels like it was meant to be a movie. And the live version of it feels like it was meant to be a stage production. Excellent adaptation. I don't know if anyone else will ever be able to top that. But Corey, do you have a favorite movie musical? I do. Uh, I'm going to very confidently say 1962's Music Man. Nice, nice. I mean, we we talked about it before, but damn, I just love that film. Buddy Hackett with fucking Shapoopy. Mm, classic. It is. Like, we literally talked about it like an episode or two ago. Yeah. Like, just, it's an absolute earworm. I remember my mom showing me this when I was really little. I think it was airing on, like, The Wonderful World of Disney or something like that some Saturday night. And she's like, hey, I remember this from when I was a kid, so I'm going to show you this. And first, I'm like, an old movie? Why Why should I give a damn? You know, I'm like six or eight or whatever. You know, I didn't care. I feel like it's an almost perfect adaptation from, like, stage to screen. If we're talking just quality of, like, the song work and just the performances. Yeah. Whenever I hear any version of Shapoopy that's not sung by Buddy Hackett, it sounds wrong. I can relate to that. And also a fun little tidbit, I feel like I've probably told you a million times because I feel like I tell everybody when uh, Music Man comes up, but I am very distantly related to Meredith Wilson, the composer, writer of Music Man. Hmm. When I say very distantly, I mean like extremely barely even counts distant. We always referred to him as Cousin Meredith growing up. I want to say it's something like a, like my 20th cousin. Close enough in my book. Question number two. Yes. We're going to get a little heavy here. The film takes place in a high school and dives into how it feels to be a teenager while in high school. So, Steve, I have to ask you, how was your high school experience? All right. All right. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, we're getting heavy. I mean, this is the fucking episode to get heavy. Absolutely. It was almost like I had two high school experiences. It's like freshman and sophomore year. I got like very into like the theater crowd and was very just like outgoing, insane, ridiculous, cartoony Steve that we all know and love. And then junior, senior year, still theater, but like something happened in my brain where I just like stopped feeling emotions and stuff. And I got very good at masking, uh, which is a term I've recently learned. And it was a thing that I did all the time where I just acted like I was fine, uh, used my theater skills to 
put on just like a normal happy face. Uh, but inside it was just kind of dead and nothingness and kind of felt like that disconnected me from people. And you know what? I, w- I felt like I was on the outside looking in. I also feel like I ended on at least neutral terms with everybody. And that was good enough for me. Fair take. Yeah. Corey, how was your high school experience? Well, I don't know if I've talked about it before, but I've struggled really hard with depression and anxiety for the majority of my life. High school being no no stranger to that whatsoever. I was outgoing and I feel like I was decently known amongst my graduating class at least, but I just I don't know. It's that's really the most I can really remember. There's there's a lot of things that are kind of a blur for me now. Um there's things that I also question as to whether or not they actually happened. Like I said, I struggled hard with depression. I also had a lot of psychosis issues uh, due in part to the fact I had been taking an above average adult dose of Adderall since I was 10 or 11 to try and treat my ADHD. I went cold turkey off that when I was 18, when I realized that this makes me feel fucking horrible. This makes me want to feel like I want to kill myself. So I'm just got tired of feeling that for like eight years and said, fuck that. I'm done. Kind of had to find myself after that. Like start of college was kind of hard because of that. But even though it's probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, it's easily the best thing I've ever done in my life. The the problem though with going off the Adderall and having your whole mind just change how it works, it caused a lot of the quote unquote happy memories of being a teenager to just go poof. Oh. I don't remember a whole lot of things that happened when I was a teenager. Some people bring things up that, you know, like I was fucking out of my gourd at times. And I'm just like, probably I I don't remember it. I I really don't. It's also kind of hard looking back at that time because I just I don't have a lot of photos of myself. Um, I was usually one taking photos of people or video and everything like that. And so, I mean, it's kind of even harder to remember. Mm. Like I have a few photos here and there that people have taken, but I, I can barely remember like what I looked like or how I would talk, how I would act or anything. I just know it's different than how I act now. Gotcha. Well, if anyone has stories of Corey that he doesn't remember, post them on our Twitter. Yeah, good or bad. Fuck it. I'll I'll own it. Yeah, let's see what we're missing here. But also, you know what? That leaves room for new memories that are probably better. You're right. It does. It's just kind of one of those things you hear people reminiscing about their youth. I mm-hmm. It's hard for me to. So yeah. it's just one of the things I struggle with where someone's like, hey, remember that time uh, we skipped school? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> Like, I remember a few things I did, like, I totally did things just for the sake of doing them. But like, I affected anybody listening to that in a negative way. Um, I'm sorry for who I was. Please reach out to me. I'd I'd like to at least own who I was. I don't want to just blame it on, you know, pills I was prescribed. But, you know, I apologize. Good on you, mate. All right, moving on to question number three, because I'm done talking this shit for the moment. In the film, we see that Connor would write and play songs while he was in rehab, surprising his family and a lot of other people in the school. Uh, So, Steve, I have to ask, do you have any hidden talents? Hmm. Hidden talents. I feel like it's definitely a hard question to ask because, you know, you and I are both very theatrical people. We put ourselves out there a bit more now with our talents and skills and such. But, you know, maybe there's something there. Since the pandemic started, I've been teaching myself 3D modeling and animation. Got a couple things that I've made that I'm sort of proud of, but I've got a long way to go. Uh, Still a lot more learn to do, Uh, but Blender is dope. If anyone uh, wants to get into it, it's free. And there's like a million tutorials on YouTube that I've been taking advantage of. Also, our uh, our little uh, That Sounds Terrible robots 
That's like one of the two things I've made in Blender. So enjoy, world. I think everyone does enjoy the presence of Rob and Robbie. They better. If you don't, the robots are going to die. Corey, do you have any hidden talents? Uh, I don't know if it's really a hidden talent per se, but I'm generally pretty good at matching colors to make things look like well presented. That is absolutely a talent. That shit is hard. I, I, I just have an eye for it, man. Like outfits, rearranging rooms, what color walls go with what furniture, just things like that. I just feel like I've always had an eye for it and I just don't really get to use it all that often. Most of my clothing is black t-shirt, jeans, shoes, but I'll see other people and I'll be like, oh my God, I really love that fucking shirt you're wearing or holy shit, your living room is awesome. This color's fucking great with what you have. Like I just, I love seeing that kind of stuff and occasionally I get to help people, mostly my wife who's like, what do you think of this outfit? And I'm like, hmm, change that to this or, you know, or like, hey, thumbs up, you look great. Nice butt. There you go. Butt is one of like my top five colors. That's pronounced boute in uh, France. Sure, 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 sure. Here's the thing, though. It, it has to be from the uh, boute region. Otherwise, it's just sparkling ass. <laughs> well done. And now I know you. And I know you. All right, folks, moving on here. We're going to be hitting up some cast and crew. Let's dive into this fucking film. We're not going to get to every character. We're not going to get to everybody who is, you know, a part of the set. If you feel like we missed somebody important, feel free to hit us up on our Twitter, Instagram, our Facebook. Whoa, ho, ho. That's right, folks. Quick little announcement. We did create a Facebook. When this airs, it will have already been premiered last week. If you're listening and you're on Facebook, please make sure, you know, like the page, follow, make sure you're seeing our posts. We're also going to be posting there as well. Like, hey, this episode's coming out. You won't ever miss a fucking episode because maybe you just don't like subscribing to uh, podcasts on Spotify or wherever you may get your podcasts. And that's okay. We still love you. Yeah. Fair enough. Moving on to cast and crew, though. Let's start with the director. We have Steven Chbosky. Yeah. Tell me about Steven. Well, Chbosky is best known as the writer behind the best-selling novel, The Perks of Being a Wildflower, as well as writing and directing the 2012 film adaptation. He is also a co-creator on TV's Jericho. I'm going to be honest. I've only ever seen one film he's directed, and that's the one that we've seen here. I can't really say this was par for the course for him, but if so, then I'll probably steer clear of his other work. I It, it just yeah. felt very generic. It's very standard, yeah. This is a film that I feel, with the themes it explores, it deserved a lot better of a special treatment than it got. It felt like he was just like, yep, just paint by fucking numbers. I mean, I guess he was hailed a lot for Perks mm -hmm. of Being a Wallflower. I've never seen it. I'm probably not going to see it. It's pretty mediocre, I'm not going to lie. I know a lot of people that loved that movie and, like, that was a big defining thing for them. I didn't read the book as a teen. I knew a lot of kids that read that book. I It didn't really seem like my thing. I saw the movie as an adult. It didn't really click with me. It felt kind of forced. TBH. I think Emma Watson deserves better. Always. What can you do? It is what it is. It really is. That's accurate. Some people in Hollywood just keep finding work, and like I said, I wish I could speak more to it. Whatever. Yeah. We also have the screenplay, uh, which was written by Stephen Levinson. Levinson is best known as the writer of the musical Dear Evan Hansen. He wrote the musical script, not the music or the songs with it, just the script that, you know, links the songs and everything together. He also wrote the screenplay for the 2021 film adaptation of Tick, Tick, Boom. Yeah, that's really the, his highlights, I would say. Really? 
I feel like this is a name I've seen everywhere and like so many different projects, but wow, I guess not. He just feel, he just has like one of those one of those names. I guess he's also doing the screenplay for the upcoming Fiddler on the Roof remake that's going to be directed by Thomas Kale. Oh, okay. I have no feelings about that one way or another. Yeah, that's really about it. But I mean, in any case, they did cut a lot out from the musical for this adaptation. Uh, what they did cut out, I, I don't know. Have you listened to the original recording? A couple times, uh, not a ton. There, Once we get into the actual like breakdown, I have some thoughts about that subject. I feel like it'll be more appropriate there. But like, I've, I've listened to the Broadway soundtrack maybe like half a dozen times. I feel what they did cut out from the musical, it makes sense. They're kind of filler songs. They're fun songs. They're good songs. Don't get me wrong, but they're mostly, mostly filler songs. I can test one of those. And again, we'll, we'll get into it. I also just don't think this script is amazing. I think it's complete fucking garbage. The pacing is awful. Absolutely awful. There's no reason this needed to be drawn out to be as long as the Broadway musical, especially when you are cutting songs from it. I agree. Made no fucking sense. Yeah. I think this is kind of partly why I love the Sweeney Todd movie so much is like they understand how to like keep it tight and keep it moving. So like in a stage production, someone can do just like a monologue and just like talk at the audience for 10 minutes about how they feel about something. And it can be enthralling. It can, it is just like perfectly normal. It's accepted in a live theater setting, but you can't do that in a movie. In a movie, you have so many other moving parts. One of like the basic rules of screenwriting is every single line of dialogue in the script has to, or should rather, obviously there aren't any actual rules. They should develop the character, develop the plot, tell a joke. Should do at least one of those things. It's at its best when you have all three happening at the same time, but at least one has to be happening at all times. That's not the case in live theater. It is the case in motion pictures. And so, yeah, I agree that there's a lot of just... That sort of like soliloquy, you know, songs drawn out because I feel some type of way and I'm going to just sing about it for on and on. And it just it doesn't translate as well. Yeah, which again goes back to just the it's so generically shot. I'm just not I hated it. I really hated the way this was shot. There were so many lost opportunities uh, for grandeur that musicals put to film really need. But we'll definitely we'll get to that as we go. But yeah, holy fuck. They just. Mm. Yeah. Moving on. Let's get to let's get to the elephant in the room. Ben Platt as Evan Hansen, the titular character. Uh, Platt is best known for being the original Evan Hansen on Broadway, as well as magic enthusiast Benji in the Pitch Perfect films. He's also the youngest ever recipient of the Tony Award for Best Actor in a Leading Role in a Musical at the age of 23 for the role of Evan Hansen. That makes sense. So, like, TBH, before I get into, like, criticizing things, Ben Platt is an incredible actor. He has the voice of an angel. Like, yes. He deserved that Tony. He's phenomenal. But when you're 23 and you're on a stage under a lot of bright lights, physically far away from the audience watching you, it's pretty easy to pass as a teenager. When you're 28 mm-hmm. and you have a camera a foot away from your face and you're face is filling an entire screen that is going to be blown up in movie theaters and everyone can see every tiny little pore you can't pass as a teenager yeah Uh, he was he was actually 27 when they were filming this but he looked 
and I hate to really like be like, ah, he looked older, but like that's feel like it's attacking somebody's looks, but he looked like he was over 30. He does. He aged. He, he aged did. hard. And that, that again, happens. that's not his fault, but he shouldn't have been in this role. Right. I think also part of it is like production was delayed because of COVID, you know, the world we live in. I think it still probably wouldn't have worked when he was 25. But what really does it for me, though, is a lot of the other actors in this playing teenagers are also in their 20s. That's just Mm -hmm. a reality of filmmaking. But the thing is, they all pass as teenagers and Ben doesn't. Yes. Like, I feel like I give more slack to Grease because they all look 30. But here it's like there's a 30 year old man hanging out with a bunch of teenagers and like staring at them. And it's mm. so first off, his dad was the producer of the film and producer Mm -hmm. of the musical. His dad is a very powerful producer in the Broadway world. Yes, he is. Um, So he's in nepotism, probably. But at the same time, what they said is they kind of wanted to just cement his legacy as this character because, you know, he put a lot of work into developing this character. Apparently, they workshopped this character for three years, Ben did, to make Evan Hansen who he was. And, you know, like, cool, I get it. I get your efforts. You also got a Tony for your efforts already. Yeah. I I get that you're trying to just put this on the big screen because you want... It's... It's a lot of what he wanted from here. But regardless of all that, if the logic was we want to bring back the original cast, they should have included most, if not more, of the originals than just him. He's the only original on the entire fucking cast. Do I know if the others were invited back? I have absolutely no idea. But if they were trying to capture that magic, I feel, like you said with Grease, they all look 30, so it works. None of these guys look 30 except for Platt. Yeah, it's it is the it is literally the how you doing fellow kids joke from 30 Rock. Mm -hmm. It's not a shot at his performance, which I have a few problems with in itself, but which we'll get to when we get into it. Yeah, but it hurt a film that was already struggling. Yeah, to put him in this role. He should have been either the stepdad or the school principal. Principal all the way. I don't think he'd have the look for a stepdad, but principal. I mean, it, it would be easier to age him up than to age him down. Put a little gray in his hair. Have him grow out a beard. Yeah. It's like at least the stepdad gets to sing a little. You know, the principal doesn't. That's my that's my thinking. And honestly, yeah, it's kind of like a passing of the torch. I mean, Les Mis right. uh, does that quite yeah. often where they have whoever plays Jean Valjean eventually becomes a priest. Yeah. So I think that would have been received a bit better. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Let's move on from this, though. Let's talk about someone who isn't a pain point. Catherine Deaver? Yes, Caitlin Deaver. Caitlin Deaver. You mean Caitlin Deaver? I totally knew her name the first time. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Deaver is best known as Amy Ansler in 2019's Book Smart, which has been shouted out here on the pod Mm -hmm. before. We love that movie. We love her in it. We're going to get there someday. We absolutely will. Totally. She was also known as Betsy Malum in Hulu's miniseries Dope Sick uh, and Eve Baxter in TV's Last Man Standing. Huge fan of Caitlin Dever. Huge fan. This film was no exception. She delivered another outstanding performance. Mm-hmm. I honestly feel as if she's due for an Oscar now before she's 30, if she could just pick the right fucking film. I could see it. Whoever her manager is needs to be fired because you keep choosing the wrong roles for her. Yes, you keep putting her in comedies and everything like that. This showed that she has more emotional range than a lot of people want to give her credit for. Oh, yeah. She was on a fucking sitcom with Tim Allen. And you know what I did? I went back and I watched a few episodes, even at a young age. She's fucking killing it, man. I believe it. She's great. I, uh, it was so wonderful. And also just give a comparison to the 27 years old that Ben Platt was when this was filmed. Mm-hmm. 
She was 23. Yeah, but she passes as a teenager. Caitlin Dever, if you're listening, you ever want to come on the pod? Oh, we would love to have you, Caitlin. Please. You're terrific. All day. Every day. I mean, maybe for, maybe just a couple hours. We that All day is a lot of task of your time. Quitter. Yeah. Next up, we have Amanda Stenberg um, as Alana Beck. Stenberg is best known as Time Magazine's most influential teen in both 2015 and 2016. I did not know that. Yeah, that that came up in the research. Uh, she also played Rue in 2012's Hunger Games film. Mm. And Star Carter in 2018's The Hate You Give. I'm going to be honest, I'm not very familiar with her work um, outside of her role as Rue in Hunger Games, but I believe she did a fine job. Yeah. Yeah, I've got no complaints. She she understood the role. She even got a little bit extra to, to work with as opposed to the Broadway version, which we'll get into. I think this is the only thing of hers I've seen, but yeah. She you never great. saw Hunger Games? I did not. All right. Well, that's fine. She gave some depth to her character. She performed it well. I believed her. You know, it's a it's a different take on anxiety that is very realistic and it works. Mm-hmm. Again, in comparison to the 27 years old that Ben Platt was when this film was shot, and in comparison to the 23 years old that Caitlin Dever was when this was shot, Amanda Stenberg was 22 years old. So that perfect age of like, I'm going to play a high schooler. Yeah. Again, it works. Yeah, it, it does. It's almost like you should probably stick to a same fucking formula, but you know. Nah. Also, she just has like terrific hair. Yeah. I was like almost getting distracted a few times because it looked so good all the time, which is also in line with her character. You love to see it. We do. And that's going to wrap up cast and crew. Cast and crew. We're going to be moving on. But first, a word from our sponsors. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli. I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, folks, did you know that we're a couple of corporate whores? We will do whatever you say for money. That's right. We'll give an ad that promises the world to your potential customers for whatever you're trying to sell. 
Is it true? Doesn't matter. Is it going to work? Still doesn't matter. Give us five bucks. Give us 10 bucks. We'll make all your dreams come true as long as your dreams are limited to having your product hawked on our podcast. But Steve, what if I don't have an advertisement written for you? Well, for a small extra fee, we can write one for you, aka make one up on the spot and half-ass it. That's right, folks. If you have any interest in advertising with us, please, please, please hit us up on our Instagram at That Sounds Terrible Pod. Or find us on Twitter by looking up That Sounds Terrible, go on. Slide into our DMs so we can slide into your ads. We're going to do an ad for you. That's right, folks. Fill our bank accounts so we can line your pockets with that sweet, sweet internet money. Welcome back, folks. Welcome, welcome. It's a musical episode. It's not. I'm giving up on this immediately. We're just, we're going to, we're not singing no, no, we're gonna talk this whole it. thing. We're, we're going to talk about it. We might break out into a little bit of song, a little bit of humming, but I'll cut, be sure to cut that out in the editing. Don't you worry. Cut that in the edit room. Leave it on the floor. Yeah. 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 All right, folks, we're about to get into our next segment, the generically named How It's Made. How'd they make that? What we did, folks, is so I did all the research. I wrote out the production history here. Until right now, Steve has not seen this or read a single word of it. So what we're going to do is we're going to have him read this off and we're going to get his reactions in real time. I'll be honest. I did read a single word of this. You beforehand. piece of shit. It was the word based. So that's all. That's all I got. That's not very based of you, though. I know. Pretty sus. How mid of you. You know what? I just, I wanted no cap in this podcast. I wanted a distinct lack of cap. Well, you brought too much cap. We're uh, we're going to keep it 100 from here on out. All right, let's keep it lit. Keep moving. Tight. All right. <clears throat> Based off the hit 2015 Broadway musical of the same name, the film rights to Dear Evan Hansen were purchased by Universal Pictures in 2018, with them immediately hiring on Stephen Chbosky as director and tapping the musical's writer, Stephen Levinson, to pen the screenplay. In June 2020, Caitlin Deaver entered negotiations to star as Zoe Murphy. While expected to reprise his role as Evan Hansen, Ben Platt had not officially signed on until June 18th, 2020, stating he would reprise the role unless the COVID-19 pandemic delayed production. Liar. Platt seems to be the only one considered for the role, as Chbosky has stated, I couldn't imagine anybody else playing it. It's his part. I felt strongly about it. And to me, it was never even a consideration. Maybe you should have considered making a better fucking movie, Stephen. Maybe some flowers belong on the wall. In the beginning of August 2020, Caitlin Deaver was officially cast as Zoe, along with Amanda Stenberg cast as Alana. Also in August, it was announced that Nick Dodani would play Jared, and Colton Ryan would play Connor, a role he understudied for on Broadway. Well, that's something. Later that month, Amy Adams and Danny Pino were cast as Cynthia and Larry, respectively. In September of 2020, Julianne Moore was cast in her role as Heidi. Ben Platt stated that principal photography had begun on August 25th, 2020. The film would primarily be shot in Los Angeles and Atlanta, with additional filming take place in Fayetteville, Georgia, including scenes shot in Ellison State Park. Ooh, just like he said in the movie. The majority of filming took place in September and was originally expected to end around Thanksgiving. The orchard scenes were shot at B.J. Reese Orchards in L.J., Georgia. During filming, the cast and crew would use Black Hall Studios in Atlanta as a testing site for COVID-19. Kind of an interesting little thing I just wanted to throw in there, because, you know, 
I, I you always wonder like how are these people testing? Are they testing offsite? Are right. they testing like ten feet to the right of wherever all the filming happens? Where are they going? Like, nope, yeah. offsite at a fucking completely different place. Kind of cool. Yeah, no, honestly, I feel like the film industry was the one industry in this country that actually took the pandemic seriously, and that's kind of sad. Also kind of sounds like COVID-19 was delaying production. Hmm, nudge, nudge, Benjamin. Uh, the vocal performances were recorded almost entirely live on set, as they specifically wanted Ben Platt's vocals to sound as authentic as possible. Filming would officially wrap in late December of 2020. All right, I would actually like to know more about how much care they took for these actors' voices, because when I see something like that, I immediately think of the Les Mis film, where they had famously did all the recording live for the vocals. That kind of started more of a trend with musicals doing that, if I remember correctly, because before that... Yeah, but see, that's a bad thing. It can be. The way they did it in Les Mis was awful. It was not in terms of the final project we got, but they would do like 10 to 12 hours a day of having these actors sing as like as intensely as they can. You don't even do that yeah. in live theater. You do that maybe like a couple hours total and over the course of a day. But they're doing like from start to finish, they're doing this for like probably six days out of the week. And that is terrible for their voices. Tom Hooper very nearly permanently damaged his actor, actor's vocal cords. Uh, so I hope that was not the case with this movie. That's what I'm trying to say. The film would premiere as the opening night gala presentation of the 2021 Toronto International Film Festival on September 9th, 2021 both virtually and in theater at the Princess of Wales Theater and Roy Thompson Hall. It would be released worldwide on September 24th, 2021, earning $19.1 million against a $28 million budget. Which is for films released during the pandemic when theaters weren't still fully open. That's honestly pretty good. It is. It is. Uh, not a lot of people are going to the theater. I did see this in the theater. I'm sorry. Yeah. What can you do? Ask for your money back? Eh. You know what? The theaters needed it. The film would later go on to be nominated for one Grammy for Best Compilation Soundtrack of Visual Media and four Razzies. Worst Director, Worst Actor for Ben Platt, Worst Actress for Amy Adams, and Worst Screen Combo for Ben Platt and any other character that acts like Platt singing 24-7 is normal. They clearly very blatantly tried to get an Oscar out of this with that extra song. Didn't even get a nomination. They had two extra songs, sir. Two extra? What was the other one? There was the anonymous ones. What was the other one? Uh, a little bit closer now. Oh, damn. Yeah, both were completely original songs for this. So this was, again, just them trying to get it. But also, it, this, it speaks to the film as a whole. They really were clearly trying to get Ben his, his Oscar so he could EGOT. Because Ben has won an Emmy, a Grammy, and a Tony. He won a Tony for this. He won an Emmy for something else he won a grammy for being evan hansen as well so if he got the oscar you know that's also kind of a new record in itself so i also get why they pushed him but like well but those categories are not ben Platt. he didn't write those songs he wouldn't have gotten that oscar well i'm saying the whole film as a whole felt like they were really trying to get ben Platt oh, sure, his oscar. sure 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 that's that that's my take yeah 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 they really did turn this musical into oscar bait which we'll get into as we get into the breakdown, which will be coming up next as we have now finished generically named How It's Made. Oh, so that's how they made it. All right, folks, we're going to get into this. It's the breakdown. We're all going to break down. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Fuck, let's do this thing. 17-year-old Evan Hansen suffers from social anxiety. His therapist recommends that he write letters to himself detailing why, quote-unquote, today will be good. 
Evan's mother, Heidi, suggests that he ask people to sign his cast after Evan had fallen out of a tree and broken his arm to try and make friends. This leads us to waving through a window. Okay, so I'm going to start off by saying waving through a window is my favorite song from this musical. It is a banger. It Mm. is painfully relatable. I love everything about this song. It's a wonderful I want song. It is. It's terrific. Really gives us a great insight into Evan Hansen's character. And obviously it's beautifully performed if you have your eyes closed. But here's the thing. This is, I think, the one instance of a song being cut that should not have been. The stage version starts off with a song called Does Anybody Have a Map? Yes. And I think what that song does that we are missing here is shows that it shows us that Evan and Heidi are both struggling in their own way. Uh, And they're both trying to figure it out on their own, which is kind of both of their arcs that come to a head at the Mm -hmm. end of the the film. It it also just kind of sets up the world. It sets up this whole exercise that he's doing, writing letters to himself, checking in with his mom and just kind of like getting their day started. They're both, you know, singing, does anybody have a map? Does anybody have a map? Because neither of them really knows where they're going. Uh, So they just they kind of incorporated elements of that into waving through a window. And I think that takes away from the beauty of the song. They also cut away during that song to um, Cynthia, uh, who's played by Amy Adams, by the way. Hmm. Cynthia and Connor and Larry and Zoe. Yeah. All there at their house. And Cynthia's singing the same thing. Just like, does anybody have a map trying to like figure out how to do this whole parenting thing? Because she struggles with Connor, even though her struggles with Connor are in a different way. It's kind of a way of having them... It's kind of a way of making them realize, like, you're struggling about the same thing, but in different ways. So maybe, you know, you're kind of all really alike. Like, Connor and Evan struggle to make friends and struggle with anxieties in completely different manners. Mm -hmm. And their mothers just don't know how to properly handle it. So does anyone have a map? Does anyone have a map? It would just be really nice to have seen that. I don't I think that we could have cut off some of the fucking slow-mo shots they did later on, which we'll get to. Even not to even put the whole song, just put it in at the beginning. Like, yeah. give us enough to introduce the characters properly. Right. And then let Waving Through a Window shine on its own for the incredible piece of music that it is. Because I feel that when you start your musical right off the bat with the I Want song, you're just, you're putting your best foot forward immediately. But then... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes the whole thing top heavy. Yeah. For me personally, like watching this, when they hit that, when you're falling in a forest and there's nobody around, do you ever really crash or even make a sound? And they mm-hmm. repeat that a few times and they follow it up with, did I even make a sound? It's like, I never made a sound. Will I ever make a sound? And just like the music stops. It's chilling. It is. It's beautifully chilling. Mm-hmm. And I think this is probably one of the highlights of the film scene wise, except for the editing. Cause there's so many fucking jump cuts Mm-hmm. And I understand you're trying to achieve this sense of panic and anxiety that Evan is feeling, but it's too aggressive. It's too on the nose. Yeah. There's literally a shot of him looking through a window at everybody. Yeah. Or when they're all passing him in the gym, it's every time he looks, it's like cut, 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 cut. Yeah. Like it's literally going that fast for anybody who hasn't seen it. It's just like over here, over here, over here, mm-hmm. over here. And I'm just like, this is annoying. This makes me want to turn off the film. You're not properly showing what he's feeling. You're just annoying the shit out of me. A great song. Oh my God. What a fantastic number. Great song. We can talk about that song for a whole pod, but we won't because we're going to move on. Yes. At school assembly, Evan is talking with his reluctant family friend, Jared, played by Nick Dodani. 
They exchange stories of their summer vacation, with Jared being disinterested in anything Evan has to say. Evan asks if he wants to be the first one to sign his cast, and Jared declines. Man, fuck Jared. Jared's an asshole. He is. I think he has his moments of being charming later, but yeah, he's he's a shitty person to Evan, who very clearly needs a friend. They obviously get along okay. Uh, but yeah, Jared just kind of has this whole air of being above Evan, mm-hmm. which sucks. Jared even says to him, like, uh, we're family friends. That's that's mm-hmm. different. Like, so they clearly grew up around each other. So Jared's like, I'm just I'm around you because it's just used to it. Yeah, That's why I don't tell you to go fuck off. But I'm going to be an asshole to you the whole time. So I don't want to be here. Right. Which honestly might speak to a form of anxiety through Jared because he just doesn't know how to properly act. I mean, lashing out is a kind of a way of like with people who are dealing with anxiety you lash out you say very harsh things you don't mean them maybe or some people just don't want to admit that like you know it's a shitty thing to say or do because some people just become comfortable with it i mean i'm also i'm making the leap you are as we do on this pod for that character because nothing else really shows that he has any remorse for how he acts later on but you know whatever yeah no that's fair while in the hallways evan has a run-in with connor murphy played by colton ryan who misinterprets an awkward laugh as hostility and screams in Evan's face, causing Evan to freeze up. Evan is comforted by his crush and Connor's sister, Zoe, who feels obligated to apologize for her brother's behavior. I think Connor is the perfect foil for Evan. They both have very similar problems and this whole anxiety-depression thing, but they deal with it in radically different ways. Um, And I think this scene just is a very good demonstration of those differences. Evan tries to deal with his anxiety by, you know, hiding, sheltering, just avoiding people, avoiding anything stressful or awkward. Connor takes the approach of being loud and obnoxious and driving everybody away. They're both ways of avoiding dealing with people on any sort of substantial level, but radically different approaches. God, yeah, the way that these high school kids are treating Connor. Oh man, I felt that. One of the things here in this scene that's coming off to me, Evan's anxiety here, And I want to preface the statement that I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just something that doesn't seem to fit the theme of the film. Or it kind of almost feels like it's a way of writing off the anxiety. Evan comes off more autistic than anxious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel that's just a big feel throughout the whole film. Like this is just, it makes me feel uncomfortable to a point where it, just it makes me cringe instead of like feeling sympathy i just cringe about it i feel like i'm just gonna put out a guess here i can't speak to ben platt's process here and i never saw the the stage version but i think this at least part of that could be due to the fact that he is a theater actor first and especially having played this in live theater so much when you're on stage you have to play to the balcony and the cheap seats you have to make everything bigger and you have to go like all in. But when you're in front of a camera, less is more. Mm-hmm. This, this could be a symptom of that. I definitely got a an autistic vibe from just like the, the avoiding eye contact, the excessive blinking. That's not to say that those two things can't be true at the same time. You can you can be on the spectrum and also have anxiety. Hey there, I'm Steve. But uh, the movie, I think, very clearly wanted to make it more about anxiety. And that sort of overshadows it. I agree. At school, Evan writes his letter to himself, wondering whether anyone would notice if he were to disappear. As Evan goes to print his letter, Connor approaches him and offers to sign his cast, taking up quite a bit of space in the process. 
He finds Evan's letter and becomes furious at the mention of his sister. Believing that Evan wrote the letter to provoke him, he storms out with the letter in hand. So, Connor kind of coming off. He's trying to make it up to Evan. He knows he lashed out. He doesn't want to exactly admit that he was wrong, but he is trying to work past it. But again, just quickly devolves into another misunderstanding between the both of them. At this point in Connor's life, he just expects everybody to be after him because I feel like for the most part, they probably have uh, just because no one seems to have understood what he was going through or gotten him the help that he needed. It's a very understandable response from Connor. If everyone's shitty to you all the time, your first instinct is going to be that someone is doing something to be shitty to you. Yeah, anxiety and paranoia kind of go hand in hand a lot of the times, especially when you're deal- dealing with anxiety for so long and you start looking at other things like self-medicating. Like it's brought up multiple times. Connor was a drug addict. Uh, we don't know what drugs he was doing, um, but he was obviously doing drugs in order to try to, you know, kill his anxiety. Yeah. I know quite a few people who same thing, like they've gotten into, you know, pills um, like heroin and such because they feel like I always just felt I was on edge and that just kind of literally it's cliche, but it took the fucking edge yeah. off. Yeah. Also, Evan dropping the pills on the bathroom floor and still deciding to take it, that's a bold fucking move. I mean, he really needed it. But also, like, I felt like I related to Evan a lot in that moment just because I also have nausea as a stress response. That felt like an authentic thing. It did feel authentic. No, it's just the fact that the pills dropped, like, not even on the bathroom floor. It was more so next to the toilet. Yeah. And it's, like, the middle of the day, and I'm like, hmm... We all know how men aim. It's true. It's true. Uh, Yeah, there's definitely some pee on those pills. But, you know, he blew it off. So it's fine. Piss pills. Get them while they're hot. Steamy. Moist. Later that night, Evan is searching the internet to see if Connor has posted his letter online. Evan's mother calls and advises that she will again not be home in time for dinner, choosing to work instead. So we get a further painting, Evan's unstable home life, um, how it's contributing to his anxiety and feeling of loneliness. Uh, it's also heavily implied that this is common for her to do. Mm-hmm. It's a very rare moment throughout this film where I'm like, fuck, man, that sucks. You feel like you have no friends. The one person who talks to you treats you like shit. And the person you're supposed to count on, which are your parents, you can't count on them. Also, like, I feel like I'm probably going to come back several times to the fact that I'm upset they didn't put, does anybody have a map in this? But Without that song there, like at this point in the movie, we're just getting the impression that, you know, Heidi is on top of her shit and she is going above and beyond and just being like the perfect mom. Well, as perfect as she can be and just like providing and, you know, she she's a nurse. She's got understandable excuses for being away. And yeah, in the stage version at this point, we would not have had that impression of her. And I feel like that makes a big difference and kind of lacking in the movie. Yeah, I mean, it'd be a much easier way to establish it and more memorable to establish it through a song. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, good job, movie, I guess. Three days later, Evan is called to the principal's office and is told by Connor's parents that Connor died by suicide. Despite Evan's attempts to tell the truth, the two misinterpret the letter Connor stole as a suicide note addressed to Evan, with Connor's name on his cast solidifying their belief. Prior to the principal's office, Evan and Jared are talking more about Connor and bringing up that Connor is a quote-unquote a psychopath for throwing a printer at Mrs. G's head when they were seven, Again, further way the film shows society's take on mental health, mm-hmm. where they're both now looking down at Connor and writing him off as a psychopath, even when he's like such a young age. Yeah. No one's clearly saying he's just he's having problems. Maybe people should like work on that shit. You know, it's really it's easy, though. It's an easy way out to just be like, 
oh, that child is throwing something. What a fucking psychopath. Yep. They're seven. Yeah. Maybe they're not regulating their emotions correctly. Maybe there's an imbalance, you know? Right. Maybe let's get like a professional to take a look. Nah. There's some good camera work here in this scene, I feel, where uh, Evan is sitting down with Connor's parents. Um, The way they're shooting it is kind of showing that Evan and Connor are from two different worlds. Um, As Evan sits down, the camera will then cut between a shot of Evan sitting and then do a shot of Connor's parents sitting across from him, but they don't ever show the two in the same shot. Evan's just kind of in the middle of them where the two chairs are. Hmm. Nice insight. I didn't pick up on that. Well done. But also... That wasn't during the musical number, so it works. Sure wasn't, because I just don't feel that the director knew how to shoot a fucking musical. No. The parents' lack of communication here also feels very familiar to Evan, as he lacks good communication with his own mother. And I don't know, what do, you, what do you think about that? So, right off the bat, this is a very dysfunctional couple. Like, that is, like, the first thing that we mm-hmm. see about them when we see them interacting with each other. And... Spoiler alert, when you're talking to a couple and they're like bickering with each other and are clearly dysfunctional, it's uncomfortable. And when you've got social anxiety, that discomfort is through the roof. Him clamming up and not coming clean immediately about the note makes perfect sense. Because, oh my goodness, that is going to set these people off even more. It's going to make the situation more awkward. I cannot survive that. Yeah, I get it. It's really uncomfortable. Like, even like when you're a kid and you're over at like a friend's house... Oh, God. And then the parents start fighting. Oh, my God. Or they start yelling at, like, your friend. You're like, what the fuck do I do here? (laughs) Yeah. You're just kind of sitting there. Just please don't direct it at me. I'm just trying to play some N64, ma'am. Yeah. That was a good way to get his lie started. That it still keeps us on Evan's side. Right. Because he starts, like, agreeing with them so they'll stop fighting Mm -hmm. so he could just stop feeling uncomfortable. I, I agree with that. It's one of the few moments where I'm like, all right. I see what he's doing. It's, I get it. Knee-jerk reaction. But it gets worse as time goes on. Spoiler alert! Which leads us to... Evan is invited to the Murphy's house. Under pressure from Cynthia, he invents a friendship between the two, manufacturing a story about breaking his arm while with Connor at an orchard the Murphys visited, leading us to the song For Forever. So before we kind of get there, uh, walking in the hallway, Evan's expressing to Jared that he's thinking about telling the truth, uh, but Jared tells him not to. Would it kind of be fair to say that Jared was the reason Evan didn't clear the air here? Uh, I, I would say it's a contributing factor. Um, he doesn't have a lot of second opinions to draw from, and mm-hmm. I feel like Jared just loves the drama of it all. Yeah, Jared's an asshole. Yeah. So I've never seen the musical, but my understanding was there were times during the musical where Evan was considering just telling the truth to get it all over with. But he also then started seeing like the ghost of Connor, if you will, who was like, no, 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 don't let my memory die. Like make my parents happy kind of thing, like encouraging him further. Well, that would have been a fun element to have in a film. Yeah, probably would have made it feel more like a musical instead of a fucking sad fest with songs yeah they tried to make it just like a super grounded drama but fact is people in the real world don't burst into song when they get extra emotional as much as i would love them to as much as i keep asking them to it doesn't happen let's talk about for forever another banger the second time i've seen the film um and i did notice a few other things during this just that i didn't notice the first time he sees how this fabricated story of him and Connor visiting this apple orchard isn't just bringing the family together while they were in the middle of fighting, because they they really all were. Like, the mother's in denial that Connor was an asshole. The stepfather is just trying to keep, like, 
keep strong for the family. And Zoe's just being honest. She's just like, there were, she literally says there were no good things when it comes to mm-hmm. Connor. Like, he literally died a few days ago. And you're like, telling, like, there's no good things about him. He was a piece of shit. So, again, in a anxious response, Evan comes up with this apple orchard thing. As he starts noticing it's bringing them together and bringing this family joy, it's like his confidence is coming out the further the song goes Mm -hmm. on. He's starting to find his voice. Like, he's getting louder. He's, like, standing up a little taller. He's feeling, like, he's feeling great. He's starting to find his voice and a way not to just be somebody that's, you know, just waving through a window. His confidence coming from the song, I think, is similar to why I'm so drawn to improv. Because it's like, when you're fabricating a story out of nothing... You're in control of the narrative, which is very reassuring. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was a very good illustration of that concept. I'm not really much of a a pathological liar, uh, as far as I know, uh, in the real world. But finding that confidence from something fake and something make-believe is a very real thing. And it was a great excuse for Ben Platt to let the pipes out. Flex them pipes, Ben. Ooh, so good. Like when he's hitting that hook... All we see is sky for forever. Goddamn. That man can sing. That adult man is a great singer. So good. I kind of also like, you know, when he's talking about that, we also do get scenes of him cutting away to, you know, him falling out of the mm-hmm. tree, which is how he actually broke his arm. And we'll get to that later yes. on, because that's when it's going to get a little fun. But um, this is probably the best edited song. I would say, like, offhand. Yeah. If we're just kind of, like, you know, keeping, like, it's a flashback scene to showing what actually happened. Yeah, because they're doing something with the medium to enhance, to, like, acknowledge that there's a song happening. Right, and that there's more to these words than him just making shit up. Like, there's actual, like, he's talking about things that he experienced, but he's just changing little things to make it about him and Connor. Something also I picked up on this time that I didn't fully absorb the first time I saw it is... Like, he's not just making up a story about Connor. This is his fantasy about what it would be like to have an actual friend. Yeah, because he didn't have any. He spent his summer at a national park volunteering alone. This is a lonely kid dreaming about a better life. Sad as shit, man. It is. Abbott enlists Jared in fabricating backdated emails between him and Connor in order to confirm his story, leading us to Sincerely Me. What a fun little peppy song to help contrast this very depressing film. Yeah, that's exactly my thought. This is a needed dose of brevity. And you know what? I'm going to go out on a limb here. This song made me like Jared a bit. Mm-hmm. Like he, he's a he's a bit of a rascal. You know, they're, they're making up these these fake emails to support the lie. But he's you know, he's having fun with it. He's making Connor say all sorts of goofy stuff. Yeah, it's fun. Also, the choreo in this number is so cheesy, which is perfect. Yes, because that's the picture they're painting. Yes. They know that what they're doing isn't entirely believable, but they feel that if they cheese it up, they'll be like, oh my God, they're willing to believe anything at this Mm -hmm. point. It's the perfect illustration of how Evan thinks people talk. Like when they're in the go-karts and they're just like all smiling (laughs) and shit and just fucking turning that wheel. Oh, I love it. It's so good. It's fun. Another scene where I kind of like the editing a little bit. They're cutting back and forth from Evan's room where Evan and Jared are piecing together the emails and they're showing the experiences. Mm -hmm. It just helps add to how much fun this is. Yeah. It is a fantasy of teenagers having fun from someone who has clearly never had fun as a teenager. Yeah, teenagers don't go go go-karting. Not like that, they don't. I don't know what that means. 
I don't know what go-karting is, but if anyone who's a part of Gen Z wants to tell me, my DMs are open. Yeah, show us how to go on some carts, youth. Zoe wonders why Connor included her name in his suicide note due to their past experiences together. The rest of the Murphys try coming to grips with his passing and the contents of the notes within their own, leading us to Requiem. I love this song. It is a beautiful song. The first time I watched this movie, I kind of had to pause and take a break after this. A lot of this really hit home for me. Yeah. When Zoe's driving down the street and she's picking up the speed and she just kind of lets go of the wheel, like in a way of like tempting fate. Mm -hmm. I kind of took her hitting the brake at the red light as her way of just showing regret for not wanting to have to live with the burden of feeling no guilt for her brother's suicide. And I just kind of feel this is a very accurate portrayal of somebody who's dealing with some deep shit. And I'm going to be flat honest, I've absolutely done this when I was in a really dark place uh, a few years ago. Doing 90 miles an hour, windows down, no seatbelt, icy roads. Just, yeah, I was not in a good place. Yeah. Damn. It triggered me. And I don't like using that phrase because, you know, there is like the whole like I'm triggered connotation. But like it literally triggered like a response to me that went, this is a little too fucking real. And I need to take a step away for a minute. Yeah, that's fair. I feel like that was also Zoe's reaction to that. Right. It makes it all the more powerful, though, as a song. And her reaction here is something that's very relatable. Look at everyone else around the school. They're all sad that Connor is dead, even though they all fucking hated him. But she's just like, nah, fuck him. He was an asshole. There was, she put it perfectly at the dinner table. There was no good. Yeah. Again, understandable from her, because like she spent her entire life dealing with the worst aspects of a kid who desperately needed help. Yeah. She's younger than him. So what she's what she's supposed to do. Right. And she feels she feels gaslit honestly right now and it's kind of nice to see the film explore that a bit more which i'm assuming this was only i've never seen the musical unfortunately i really want to this film makes me want to because i'd like to experience it as it should be viewed yeah um yeah but i imagine this is them kind of exploring gaslighting as i i think yeah yeah that's that's valid also, each part from, like, the mother and the stepdad in this are perfectly in line with their characters. The mother is clearly grasping at any straw that mm-hmm. her child was a good and well-liked person, and she yep. just wants to feel validated in her grief. That's why she'll believe anything that Evan tells her. Like, mm-hmm. Evan could be like, he once saved a box of kittens from a river, and she'd be like, he did! And, like, just fucking, you know what I mean? She wants to find, she'll believe anything anything at all because she doesn't want to believe that her child that she loved even though she acknowledged she had issues wasn't a good person but there's a lot of evidence that keeps coming out that connor was not really that good of a person he made a lot of really shitty choices caused a lot of people pain that's a version of what i wrote down for amy adams part in this song yeah yeah spot on also something else that i picked up on this watch is Requiem is also showing what everyone in the family wanted from Connor Yep. instead of them owning up to how they interacted with him or anything about him. These are all just like different ways that they're disappointed in this dead boy. Yeah. I mean, like, let's also look at like the stepdad. So the stepdad is a very logical person. He's a lawyer. He's a very logical, like black and white, like this is how things are. And the logic is, is that he's trying to have it all make sense. He's trying to understand 
why would Connor kill himself? He because he mm-hmm. literally says, "We gave you the world, you threw it away." Yeah, he feels that he gave Connor everything he ever could have needed, and he can't come to grips that it wasn't enough. So he will sing "No Requiem," like just. I'm getting chills just talking about this song. It's so good. It's so Mm. beautifully done. Very well put. While talking about college scholarships he qualifies for, Evan's mother notices Connor's signature on Evan's cast and asks him about Connor's death. Evan brushes it off, stating he didn't know him as she continues to try and make dinner plans for a Taco Tuesday to help him with writing college essays. This whole scene felt so shoehorned in. Its only purpose is to show that Evan is poor and needs money for college and to also set up that his father remarried somebody. That's it. All things that are stated at other places in the movie as well. And something else that it does that is done in other places in the movie is shown how Evan and Heidi interact with each other. Mm -hmm. Neither of them are fully emotionally open with the other and they end up just like trying to put on a happy face and trying to convince the other that they're doing fine. Yeah. Which again happens throughout the movie. And this isn't really a progression of it. It's just a repetition. Almost like people should talk about how they feel. I don't feel like they should. Good enough. Moving on. At school, Alana Beck, a classmate of Evans is raising awareness of a school assembly in Connor's honor. She sits down with Evan and talks with him about his friendship with Connor stating. She saw him sign Evans cast before they were arguing in the library a few days prior. Evan comes home expecting Taco Tuesday to see a note from his mother canceling dinner due to her having to go to work, and he is again left alone until Zoe invites him over to her house via a text message. The whole conversation between Evan and Alana feels pretty pointless until you realize it's just a scene to establish that Alana and Evan are just starting to talk to each other. Yeah, that's valid. Like, the fact that she wants to hold an assembly in his honor shows that, okay, maybe she's somebody who cares. And then it's just like, hi, Evan. Hi. That's five-minute scene. Summed it up. There you go. Yeah. Also, very bad scene transition between the school and Evan coming home. The editing is just bad. It's just so, like, just like, they're literally talking and they stop and just, like, cut to nighttime and he's there. And I'm like, this is, the editing is trash. Who did the Mm -hmm. editing? I'm going to call you out. Who edited this? Anna and Anne McCabe and McCabe, whatever. Hey, Annie, you're clearly not McOkay right now because you need to get fucking better at editing. Let's take a quick look at her Imdba. She did Succession. Uh, she did the Purge TV show. She did Can You Ever Forgive Me, which is a good movie, but not because of the editing. And I know Adventureland, but. Whatever. Yeah, oh, oh! I'm sorry. She did the Dirty editing Grandpa. for Dirty Grandpa. Thank God. That's exactly what this fucking film needed. This film could have benefited from a Dirty Grandpa. Just... Yeah. Yeah. I'm just fucking. I'm not gonna stop talking about this editing trash. Yeah. Well, what can you do? We can move on. We can transition to the next part. Evan and Zoe talk and share more details about their home life and what struggles they deal with. As they start connecting, Evan, still unable to tell the truth about Connor and the note, tells Zoe all the reasons that he loves her under the guise of Connor, leading us to the song, If I Could Tell Her. This is also where Evan reveals that his father left him, shining more of a light on how why he feels alone. So again, the scene prior with his mother was totally fucking unneeded. Didn't need it. Could have literally just taken that whole scene out and he comes home to no taco Tuesday. Sorry, hon. And we're like, oh, okay, they have tacos on Tuesday. Yeah. Whatever. That's it. 
Also, I feel zero fucking chemistry between Evan and Zoe, and it is because of like just how like much older Ben Platt looks. Yep. It's mm-hmm. very creepy. It's real creepy. We see Evan drop his facade with Zoe for like a brief moment here when mm-hmm. she just she does something as simple as acknowledging that his dad leaving sucks, which I feel like is something that he hasn't been told much. Though is Gotta, you know, put on a brave face and find the good and present as well-adjusted to the world as one does. But then, like, the facade comes right back up and the lies come right back when Zoe brings up her name being mentioned in the letter. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then he's got to fabricate a whole new set of lies to, you know, maintain his cover, but also, like, make her feel better. But also to way of him confessing how he feels by watching her from afar and the things he's noticed. Absolutely. And, oh, God. Mm. The, the montage in this. It's supposed to come off as this grand gesture, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, this whole song, just listen to this song without watching this scene. The song comes off as a grand gesture of mm-hmm. him admitting to her, like, this is what I notice about you, and this is what I really love about you, and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. But the way it's shot is, like, it just doesn't matter. The way they shoot this is in such, like, a lazy, like, here it is. Yes. There's no beautiful camera work you're not like swirling around the room or any like shit like that the shots here don't make any fucking Mm -hmm. sense for the motion that you're trying to convey yeah we're not made to feel what either of these characters are feeling right like you said this song is beautiful it is layered it is sweet it is sad but all of that is overshadowed by this montage they put in of evan just like longing after zoe from afar but because of how he looks and how everyone else looks feels more like just a random adult hangs out at this high school and stares at one particular student all the time. I don't like it. Alana shares with Evan her mental health struggles and proposes the Connor Project, a student group dedicated to keeping Connor's memory alive with an upcoming assembly as the kickoff, leading us to the anonymous ones. It's kind of a weird little bonding moment that I find much sweeter than the one he just shared with Zoe a few moments before. This one doesn't feel creepy. It feels like they're just being friends and she's kind of like seeing him and seeing his anxiety and just trying to see the good in him i i agree as far as the scene goes however i have a question i'm going to pose to you anonymous ones was added for the movie Mm -hmm. plot wise what do you think it accomplishes i think it accomplishes that alana feels the same things that evan feels in that she suffers from different forms of anxiety. They even kind of like bond over that, like talking like, oh, I'm on this medication. Oh yeah, I tried that once, you know. That's before the song. That is before the song. But then during the song, I feel like it kind of pushes that more and gives us more of an idea that this is how Alana feels, that she knows that she's not alone in how she feels and she wants other people to know that they're not alone in how she feels. She feels more balanced with her mental struggles is really the best because you know like like most things in life everything's on a fucking spectrum right Mm -hmm. mental health struggles are on a spectrum she's a little bit on the side of hey i kind of have more of my shit together like she clearly has friends you know she does struggle with anxiety and such she probably struggles a little bit with depression and maybe this is why it's hitting so much home for her that connor killed himself i could just be making a leap and i would accept that if that's the case But the only thing I feel is that it just kind of establishes that this is how Alana feels. And if you feel the same way, it's okay to talk about it. That's that's it. It's kind of a it's like a public service announcement song at its core. 
but I also mm-hmm. get why they would put it in and have her sing it because I don't think Alana has a solo song in the original musical. Yeah, I don't think she does either. Yeah, I feel like the only purpose the song serves plot-wise is to convince Evan to join the Connor Project. I don't think we needed an entire song for that. And I feel like, you know, maybe if we didn't have this song, there would have been room for Does Anybody Have a Map? If only. Steven Chbosky. Steven Levinson. This this movie was made by Stevens. No wonder it sucks. Yeah, Stevens are bad at creating content. They're the worst. If your name is Steven, you should feel bad about yourself. I know one that does. Yeah, you do. (laughs) Evan shares what the Connor Project is with the Murphys. The mother shows Evan Connor's room just as it was left and shares with Evan a tie that Connor had in anticipation of being invited to parties he ended up not being invited to. Evan accepts the tie as he and the Murphys grow closer. At the assembly, Evan, wearing the tie, gives a speech about his loneliness and friendship with Connor, retelling the orchard story. A video of the speech goes viral, with Evan's words being used as hope to people dealing with mental illness, leading us to You Will Be Found. Zoe is overcome by the positive reception and thanks Evan for helping her family. So let's first break down that showing Connor's room scene left it just yeah. the way it was just the way you know he left it and further showing that she is clinging to evan and treating her as her own son in order to fill the void left by connor the tie mm-hmm. is symbolic to the noose evan keeps tightening around his neck as he leans further and further into the lie mm, nice observation buddy thank you i try also i think like her Going back to that story about shopping with Connor when he was seven years old is one of the few instances she can remember of him being quote unquote normal and good. Yep. And like any detail she can think of of any point in Connor's life, she's going to cling to and amplify and use it to drown out all the rest of the shitty things about him. But it also with the tie to like, you know, oh, for all the parties he never got invited to, he really wanted this tie. Yeah. And it's again, just kind of further showing that how Connor feels and how Evan feels are fairly similar. They both mm-hmm. were felt very lonely. They felt very rejected when they wanted to belong to society. Um, you know, whether it is having friends your age or what have you and not have to just rely on your parents. It's a big theme throughout it, which does come out in, you know, you will be found. This is what makes me want to watch this musical in person there's such a beautiful contrast between the two. Like, they're different, but they're exactly the same. Yeah, they're foils. Or Connor is a foil, rather. Two foils don't make a right, sir. That's true. That's true. (laughs) Two foils don't make a diamond. This is the most realistic take that Evan shows when it comes to having horrible social anxiety. He's struggling to give a public speech. Mm Mm-hmm. But I also feel like the scene's way too overdrawn when he drops the mic and his note cards before he just starts into the song. He's like, oh, how do I hold all of these lines? That's really how that felt. I'm like, you could have literally just had him only drop the cards because he's shaking so much. Like, he drops the cards. That's it. That's all. And he just sits there like, I don't know what to do. Microphone didn't need to fall at all. That's, no, that's too, too fucking cliche. You're putting two cliches to prove your point. If you have to do that, then maybe you shouldn't be using cliches. Maybe you should just use better fucking writing. Also, the thing about, like, the mic falling, he doesn't pick the mic back up. And he just, like, goes ahead and gives his, like, speech from the heart and whatever. He's talking very quietly. 
there's no one past the third row that's going to hear him. And yet everyone is entranced. Everyone, like everyone's phone is picking up the audio perfectly. He's got no microphone. Oh, that's easy. You just turn the gain up. That's all you have to do. Oh, sure. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Turn it up to 11. It'll be fine. When he's having his awkward moment, there's all like the kids are laughing at him, taking out their phones to record him. It very clearly illustrates that none of these people have learned anything from Connor's death. No, they're just like, ooh, a moment, which is very, we're both millennials. We're Mm -hmm. not very far from that, but it's very Gen Z to be like, ooh, something is happening. Let me record this on film. Yeah. Thank I God nobody nobody's shouting World Star though. Is World Star still still a thing? Do they do people still do that? I don't think so. I'm dating myself. It's fine. Sounds hot. Also, whenever I see an awkward kid getting on stage in a movie, I now expect them to start dancing. Thanks to Napoleon Dynamite. I did. <laughs> I'm just picturing Ben Platt in like an outtake, just starting to do the Napoleon Dynamite dance. How great would that be? <laughs> if there is any form of redemption for this film it's that scene needs to be released into the world just deep fake it too much effort i don't got time for that okay that's right but i do have time to talk about this song yes oh beautiful song so further pushing you are not alone theme Mm -hmm. that there's hope and kind of another hard one to listen to brings up a lot of dark times where i really felt like nobody was able to feel what i had felt Everything had helped hopeless and nothing was ever going to get better. Um, especially like, you know, getting off Adderall and trying to find myself. I was dealing with depression, anxiety, questioning what was real and also trying to figure out like I'm 18 years old. Who the fuck am I? Like, I don't even know. Like, I barely know anything about me at this point. Yeah. Yeah. No, it it hits the nail on the head emotionally. Such a good song. And, you know. Ben Platt's voice is just perfection. So good. Credit where it's due. The man is the voice of a goddamn angel. Maybe they should have just dubbed his voice over someone younger. Or, you know, find a younger actor who is also a good singer. Yeah, it's almost like there's been people other than Ben Platt who played the fucking role on Broadway. Mm, No, actually, now that I hear that out loud, I don't think that's true. I retract my statement. You're right. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, also, at the end of the song, we see Evan finally getting his cast removed, which mm-hmm. I feel like it's pretty blatant symbolism. It's him coming out of his shell because we yeah. don't need we don't need subtle symbolism. It's fine. It also shows the passage of time. That too, um, because this literally I think this takes place like from the beginning of the year all the way to the end of the year. Right. right. Which it's not very direct in that, but it's direct enough. I guess I don't really know how to properly phrase that, honestly. Like, it's not like they're showing a fucking calendar blowing in the breeze, you know? Right. The way that they shoot it and the way the weather looks and everything feels like the whole thing takes place over the course of like a week. But yeah, great song. There's a reason that this song was the ender to the first act. Really hard to follow this up. You need to give them a fucking break before you jump into the next part. Absolutely. Evan and Alana launch a crowdfunding campaign through the Connor Project to reopen the orchard. Evan begins to neglect his mother, the Connor Project, and his therapy in favor of spending time with the Murphys. When Zoe comes over to Evan's house one night, she confesses her feelings for him, and the two strike a romance, leading to only us. Again, chemistry's awful, but damn Caitlin Dever. Yeah. So great. Incredible. It's a bittersweet and tense song, because, like... This is Zoe finally learning to be kind to Evan, but more importantly, to be kind to herself. And it's all based on Evan's lie. And you can see all over his face that he knows it. And that's just like looming over this whole 
otherwise really sweet uh, love song. That contrast, I think, works really well. I mean, without the context, this song is adorable. Oh, yeah. Evan's finally getting what he wants. Why does he care about anything else, you know? It doesn't make me want to root for him at all. Yeah. No, at this point, he's he's in too deep. And the relationship montage that happens during this song, not great editing. Um, no. I have no idea how much time is supposed to have passed in this weird flash-forward clusterfuck. Because, like, they go to a dance together. They're going to parties together. They're, Roller like, coaster. doing a couple things. I, right. Like, I feel like it has to be at least, like, a couple months. Right? He's a senior in high school. So he's like 17, 18 years old, uh, broken mm-hmm. arm. As someone who I broke a bone uh, going into my senior year as well, not because I was trying to kill myself. I was helping a drunk friend down a hill and she slipped and took me with her. Mm-hmm. So the healing time for like something like that, probably like the arm, I would have met, depending on how bad the fracture was, probably like, I think they initially told me like three months, four months. So this is probably like three-ish months after that. And we know that he broke his arm in August. So let's say this is like October, November. Yeah. When I broke my arm, I feel like it was shorter than that. It was like less than two months. So, okay. So like I so said, either way, like yeah. October, let's say, they say it was like August 31st it happened at the very latest. So October, let's say October. Let's just say it's October before Halloween and shit. So mm-hmm. then a few other months pass. I think we get through Christmas. I think we get through what have you we're um, we're probably i would say we jumped to maybe like march april somewhere around there because we're starting to near towards the end of the school year yeah it feels that's yeah i don't know I, it's never really it's never stated but i also don't think we exactly need to know it's just like just know that a bunch of time has passed yeah i just i feel like they've done a poor job of telling us that time has been passing but you're you're right we don't yeah. need to know the exact timeline of events correct but it's just kind of jarring to have these flash forwards. And then at first it seems like they're just like his fantasies about what their relationship could be like. But then we see later there are like pictures of them at prom. So like they actually did it. Heidi shows up at the Murphy's for dinner, during which Cynthia and Larry offer to give Connor's college fund to Evan. Heidi declines, refusing charity from the wealthy Murphys. This leads to an argument between Evan and Heidi. So here's something that kind of comes out of fucking nowhere, where they just say, yeah, Evan's a great writer. Well, that doesn't surprise me at all. Surprised the fuck out of me. When did we establish yep. he was a writer other than the fucking emails he wrote? Which are shit. Pretty much. But like, you know, just it doesn't it, it literally made no it was just out of nowhere. They're just like, oh, by mm-hmm. the way, just Evan's a writer. He he wants yeah. to go writing in college. Fucking what? Sure. The, the scene overall is very uncomfortable. Heidi is very clearly yeah. threatened by how close her son is to this other family, and Evan is finally confident enough to bring up where she's failing as a parent. Probably not the right time mm-hmm. to do it, but nope. he calls her out, and he's not wrong. It's like, you're always working, you're never around when I need you, so what the fuck? But this is, I feel like, the first moment of Evan and his mom being actually honest to each other. Yes. In, like, their entire lives. Probably ever, Yeah. yeah. it's an important first step it's just a very ugly one yeah the best conversations that you need to have with people in your life are usually the hardest ones Mm -hmm. like if you have a problem with somebody it's very hard to sit down and be like listen this is what i have a problem with you doing because we as humans it's almost like we're trained to just accept that things the way they are like accept your family for who they are my uncle's an alcoholic and i've just been kind of told my whole life just deal with it until one day i'm like nah i'm done with that shit get clean and then come talk to me. And I haven't talked to him in like probably four years now. No shame. I don't give a fuck. That's valid. That's how we're kind of all raised in in at least American society. Don't ever voice how you feel. Just deal with it. 
Yep. Which creates more mental fucking problems. Mm-hmm. Heidi is someone who has very clearly been holding it together, like just barely for the past 18 years or let's say past 11 years. Evan's dad left when he was seven. So I feel like that's when it got like when shit hit the fan for her. And she's been doing everything in her power to be everything that Evan needs. And I feel like Connor's family's offer of paying for tuition just brings to a head her anxieties that she has not been enough as a parent. Um, And she lashes out. Because she possibly feels that she wasn't enough as a wife, and that's why her husband left. Could be. She has abandonment issues. Yep. So that is finally what breaks her after all these years. And I get it. When Alana begins to doubt Evan's friendship with Connor, Evan emails her his therapy letter, saying it was Connor's suicide note. Alana posts the letter on her social media in order to get the Connor project to its funding goal. Online commenters question why Connor wrote a suicide note to Evan, but not his family, accusing the Murphys of mistreating him. Due to backlash, Alana deletes the letter from social media, but she's too late, as the letter had already been shared across the internet. Another cringe moment for Evan to show this letter that he was asked directly by the family, please don't show this to anybody. Yeah. When she's literally saying, like, we're so close to, like, this, I need you to put more effort into this, like, She's clearly going to fucking post this because she believes Mm -hmm. in this, in what this counter project stands for, which is, again, you are not alone. She wants to let everybody know, like, you're not alone in how you fucking feel. It can get better, essentially. Right. It's a really hard scene to swallow. It is. I feel like the responses to that note are pretty, like, realistic for how people would react to such a situation. Like, they're just, like, completely missing the point and jumping to outrage and conclusions and finding different ways to attack the family, which which sucks, but, you know, people do that in real life because humanity is garbage. During an argument between Cynthia and Larry, Evan comes clean. Devastated, the Murphys decide to keep the truth hidden out of respect for Connor's memory, and Zoe and Evan break up, leading us to Words Fail. To be honest, this is, musically, this is, like, my least favorite song in the show. Yeah. It's kind of almost like they're trying to let us feel not let us feel it's like they're trying to make us feel sympathy for him but he Mm -hmm. literally just destroyed this whole fucking family yeah i i can't feel sympathy for him and this is where i feel a lot of people are very torn on evan some of them are like oh well you know he's just he doesn't really know what he's doing it's really hard for blah blah but i'm really a part of the camp of man Fuck Evan Hansen, dude. This was got way out of line. Once he realized he was getting what he wanted out of it, he went along with. He just went along with building it up more and more. I mean, whether you want to admit or not, like, okay, he got it over his head. The fact that he continued it and kept adding more to it is it's malicious intent because he was getting something out of it. It's true. Yeah, he was acting for his own benefit for quite a while by this point. Also, I just feel like the song Words Fail is... Instead of sounding like a song, it sounds like dialogue that's being sung. And it just, it doesn't seem to have like the right flow or a memorable melody. Yeah. The only thing I can remember from it is just words fail. Words fail. Mm -hmm. That's all I can remember from it is just him saying words fail. I don't remember anything else about this song. Yeah. It's like a little too on the nose for a song Mm -hmm. for a Broadway musical. And that's saying something because Broadway musicals, a lot of the times are pretty on the nose, but this, so it's really saying something. It is. Kind of a nice little way that we do see that Evan is kind of broken by this reveal 
especially with Zoe, you know, breaking up with him. So Zoe tells Evan, quote unquote, just leave my family alone. Okay. And she walks away and Evan doesn't look back at her when she's walking away behind him. He literally just keeps staring forward. He walks out and he goes to where it's now revealed. He tried to kill himself late summer of last year. He climbed a tree in the national park for whatever the reason was. And it's like he got up there and he had this realization of, I just want to die, you know? So Mm -hmm. he tried and he ended up just breaking his arm and that, that was it. Yeah. And like, when you see him climbing that tree, like in the flashback, when he gets up there, he's happy. Mm -hmm. He's fucking ecstatic, man. He's like, look at this gorgeous view or what I feel it's more as is he realizes that all the pain and the loneliness that he feels is finally about to end. Because that's one of the things I've heard a lot from just researching and through my own issues, which, you know, struggling with suicide and such is that when some people decide like, all right, I'm going to do it. It's almost like you feel a form of happiness, like, like this weight is lifted off of your shoulders because holy fuck, it's, it's almost over. I don't have to feel this way soon. Some scary shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, again, this is not one, that's not a situation that I've, related to in my life thankfully but i i felt uh what he was going for all the same it's a very dark moment and i feel like they they handled it decently i think it's an accurate portrayal yeah and i commend them for that they didn't pull the punch they didn't try to make it more than it was it's just he you know it it, it is what it is and they tried to make us feel kind of the same thing that he was feeling when he decided to well take that leap yeah it explains his masking throughout the movie, too. Like, he doesn't want anyone to know about this ever, ever. Right. He's he's ashamed of it because he failed. Yeah. Evan admits to his mother that his fall from the tree was a suicide attempt. Heidi apologizes for not seeing how deeply Evan was hurting and discussing how his absent father scarred him, leading us to the song So Big, So Small. Wishing to take responsibility, Evan uploads a video confessing the truth. Before we get to the whole video confessing and everything let's talk about the song yeah julianne moore has a pretty solid singing voice i was very surprised by that yeah same i never heard her singing anything else before this so me either yeah and this is like just a heartbreaking song yeah oh my goodness cool it's a parent who just sits there and says like i feel like i failed you yeah which is Pretty similar to another mother that we've been coming to know throughout this film. Hmm. Just saying. Yeah. I felt like it was her reassuring Evan by telling him that she also feels inadequate. She also feels like she's broken and not enough. And here's why. So it's like a way of comforting through like shared suffering, uh, sort of. And this is them finally like opening up and being honest about everything with each other, which actually, you know. Let's them have an actual real relationship, which is great. Uh, it's a huge step. But like the line that absolutely got me here was Evan saying, do you hate me now? You should. Like, holy shit, dude. Yeah. Because I, I think it's also on some level, he almost blames himself for his dad leaving, which mm-hmm. you know, it's it's common. Sure. For a kid, Because I mean, once his dad left, his dad, it, from what it appears, his dad never talked to him again, really. Right. Yeah. So it's it's hard. It's a it's a really hard song to get through, and it's a very 
beautiful moment to see them share again further sharing their emotions and working through those same emotions yep and i feel like this would have been a better fruition for her arc if insert previous comment about does anybody have a map you know oh if only but you know i'm not bitter you win some you uh you map some oh evan admitting his wrongdoings is different than what happens in the musical and I feel it's only done so they could slip one more original song in, which we'll get to momentarily. So what happens in the musical is he doesn't admit the truth. He, you know, he honors their wishes. Um, and then everything else plays out how it is, except for whatever this next part is. The, the next part we're about to tackle doesn't fucking happen in the musical at all. And I feel it flows better because of it. Interesting. Evan admitting like his lie is him trying to clear his own conscience. It's not him trying to do the right thing. It's again, showing Evan trying to clear his own conscience, which is in itself another way of being selfish. I can't root for Evan in the fucking film, man. I really just can't. There's a turning point at some point. And it's, I think it's when he starts dating Zoe that he just becomes more and more of this selfish person. He's just like, you know what? I'm finally feeling happiness, so I don't give a shit anymore. And I I can't support a person like that. I can't, because you're still doing something really shitty. The family said, don't tell anybody. We don't want this getting out. Just leave it alone as is, and we'll deal with it. And he doesn't. I had a different take on this ending. I kind of liked it. The way I saw it was um, his confession was his way of taking the heat off of everyone else, and it seems to have done that. Uh, in the world of the movie. So now, like, all the hate is just on him and he's just bearing it. But then, privately, he's doing the work to learn about Connor, which is what he should have done from day one. And then, yes, he hands out the thumb drives with Connor's song on them at the end and everything, but he does that anonymously as well. But more importantly than all of that is he is not rewarded for any of this. He still has to deal with the consequences of everything. Uh, He doesn't get the girl back. He doesn't get absolved by everybody. He just ends up hated and resented as he should. And then just kind of goes on to do his own thing privately. And I think that aspect of it is good. That is certainly a different take. And I I accept what you're saying. I don't don't agree with it, but I, I see the logic of what you're saying, though. That's fair. Alone again, he reads a list of Connor's favorite books and gets in touch with those who truly knew him. He receives a video of Connor performing music while in rehab, passing it along to the Murphys, Alana, and Jared, leading us to a little closer. So like you said, yeah, everyone hates him. He's trying to put in the work to understand who Connor was now. Some of Connor's favorite books I did catch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cat's Cradle, The Little Prince, Ready Player One, The Client, The Giver, uh, Persepolis, the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime and on the road. The themes of those aren't exactly matching up, but I mean, they're pretty typical, you know, books that teenagers will read. So Mm -hmm. I roll with it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'll be honest. I haven't read any of those books, but it's definitely like the collection of, or at least what, what, what I got from that collection, knowing nothing about the actual books, but like having heard of some of them is I got kind of Holden Caulfield vibes from it. Catch on the Rye, okay. I thought was going to be one of the books. I'm not going to lie. I really thought Catch on the Rye was going to be one of these books, but it it wasn't. Maybe kind of thought himself above that book. As most people should. As Holden Caulfield would. Also, all these people putting a strange USB into their laptops, 
that is the dumbest fucking thing on the planet because that's yeah that's literally how you get ransomware Mm -hmm. there's no like oh who is this from oh it's from evan or it's from there's no return address it's just literally mailed to them like a usb drive let me put this right into my computer without thinking a second fucking thought why there is a there's an episode of mr robot where they do a hack that way so stupid the people yeah he could have emailed them an anonymous link from a fake email address so you're saying he should have been an anonymous one no, I don't like that song being in here. You know what I do like? I do like the original song here a little closer. I find it enjoyable. Out of the the two extra songs, this is definitely the better one. It, I feel like it could have been a part of the original musical. It helps us yeah. as the audience to better understand who Connor was as well as, you know, Evan, because we only really got to see the bad sides of him. Right. It's almost like a redemption. Yeah. Evan meets with Zoe at the reopened orchard dedicated to Connor's memory. They reconcile, with Zoe telling Evan she wanted him to see the orchard, the one place Connor loved. Evan writes himself a letter, vowing not to hide or lie, and encouraging himself to move forward in life. That's it. That's the fucking end, kids. Um, he's he's learned his lesson. He's going to try to do better, and he gets no special treatment for it. Yep, just had to destroy a family in order to get it. Yeah, standard. The one thing that, again, where it really bothers me, so in the musical, in the finale... A year later, Evan is still living with his mother, working at a store to earn enough money to go to college the next semester. Zoe invites him to meet her at the orchard, which has been reopened in Connor's memory, and they connect for the first time since Evan told the truth. He apologizes for the pain he caused, and Zoe forgives him, saying the ordeal brought her family closer together, and they share a moment before parting ways. She never really admits that it brought her family closer together, or anything like that. She doesn't admit that, it's just kind of like... Eh, I forgive you. It's the end. Bye. She does. She does mention that her family goes on a lot of picnics to the orchard now. Right, but I feel like it directly saying like you know I forgive you because what you did did bring us closer in the end. So just something as simple as that line would really just help. Just paint the listen. A lot of the times when people are writing a screenplay, they want to put in these little subtleties. They want us to, as we put it here, make the leap. I don't want to make the fucking leap here. You've been pretty direct about a lot of shit going on in this film. If you're going to paint the picture, just paint the fucking picture. I think it would have been better if she didn't forgive him at all. <laughs> just brought, just like brought him there and be like, by the way, I don't forgive you. And my Tommy gun don't either. Perfect. Give us a Sopranos ending. How do you like them apples? Oh. Churred. Oh. Ah. Ah, I, I thought you were making a Ben Affleck reference. Not yet. And that's the breakdown, folks. We did it. Give yourself a round of applause. That was that was a long one. No, we sure broke down. Moving on, though, folks. Little bits. I ended up with a lot of little bits this time. A lot of little bits. A lot of little bits. Steve, I need you to hit me with a bit. What you got? All right. In one of the first few scenes with Evan talking to his mom, it is brought up that he decided not to eat the previous night because he didn't want to deal with the delivery person in person. I found that heavily relatable. Yeah. The advent of post-COVID contact-free delivery is a godsend for me. The anxiety of, I don't know what the proper greeting would be. I don't know how to deal with these people, leading to the apprehension and just deciding it would be easier to not eat. Hey, been there. Absolutely. Great. I'll just do a quick bit with this one. They put way too much detail into this plot and it doesn't fucking pay off. 
they're just shoehorning shit in all mm-hmm. throughout that just like, okay, cool. So instead of writing your characters to be properly established, you're just going to tell us. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah, everybody knows in a screenplay you have to tell and not show. And then you fix it in post. Watch like I do with this podcast. hey Steve, hit with another bit. Let's go. Yeah. So when they're at the pep rally and we've got like the band playing and you see Zoe is over there rocking out on her guitar, we hear no guitar. Not a single fucking note of guitar. None whatsoever. And I'm going to just make a leap here that probably is not accurate, but I'm just going to say that it's to show that she's used to being overshadowed. But that's probably not the case. It's probably not yeah, why you can't hear the guitar. You're making, you're making leaps. I am. It's an electric guitar, too. I played electric bass in my school's band, and I constantly had to make sure I wasn't louder than everyone else because I had an amplifier and no one else did. Are you telling me that you slap it a bass? Oh, I slap it a bass. All right. Bit me, baby. How the fuck did Ben Platt win a Tony for this role? Because his singing's on point. But his acting here shouldn't have gotten him any fucking awards. Well, again, that, that's this is film acting versus theater acting. Theater acting, you got to play to the cheap seats. I understand, but like, fuck. Like, there's overacting and there's overacting. And this was just, I'm, o- I'm over it. Yeah. I'm over this acting. That's fair. All right, Steve, hit me with a bit. Evan mentions one of the medications that he's on is Wellbutrin. I'm on Wellbutrin too. Butrin boys! That's it. Yeah, that's a gang that sometimes gets together, but, like, not really, haha. Yeah, 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 yeah. All separately in our own respective domiciles. Also, uh, Alana mentions that she's on Lexapro, and I tried Lexapro, and it gave me insomnia. The end. In her somnia. That's it. Yeah, we're cutting that. That's fine. The film does such a good job of just... It's diving into the emotions and things that you're feeling when you're dealing with depression, mental breakdowns, suicidal thoughts. Mainly that you feel so fucking alone when you're going through those waves, and the reality is far from it. Uh, The feelings that you have are felt and understood by so many other people going through what you're experiencing. Evan's initial letter that started all this is an example, as it easily could have applied to Connor's own mental anguish as well as Evan's. That's why it's so believable that, like, Yeah, Connor wrote this. It's not out of the ordinary. The big song that ends the first act, You Are Not Alone. The title of that song is just so on the nose, but it doesn't bother me because it's something that needs to be on the nose. It's a song that really just, I feel, just speaks to people. Yeah. You can see that as to the fact that this made a lot of fucking money in the theater during a time when theaters really weren't a thing. And also the fact that this musical has staying power yeah absolutely side note when this uh first came out on broadway ben platt and lin-manuel miranda got together and did a mashup of you will be found and i think dear theodosia highly recommend watching it on youtube it's a great compilation it's both of them it's both of them singing each other's songs oh maybe maybe it wasn't uh dear theodosia maybe it was oh no it was um the hamilton song where they're all drinking um, the story of tonight. That's what it was. That's yes. what I'm thinking of. Story of tonight, and you will be found. Terrific mashup. It gives you feels. That's a great little bit. It is. Oh, again, a lot of things in the film and the musical that come into play are the respective of people, places, and moments. During For Forever, we don't know that Evan is actually describing how he felt when he thought he was going to kill himself. Again, like mm-hmm. I said before. You can see on his face, like when they're going back before, you know, when he's, you know, the flashbacks and such, he feels joy 
a release as he climbed, quote unquote, higher and higher till the entire sun is shining on his face. When you watch that scene again, or you watch it knowing he's actually describing the time that he tried to kill himself and why he has a broken arm, it cuts so deep. And I'm going to take it a little bit deeper. Mm. That whole thing of him basking in the sun. Uh, what's one of the lyrics in the first in one of the first songs we hear? Step out, step out of the sun if you keep getting burned. Mm. He got into the sun and then he stepped off the tree. Yeah, that's that's it. You got any more for me? I uh, I will give you one more. This is another quick bit. Near the end, uh, when Evan comes up to Zoe at her locker after everything has happened and she tells him to leave her family alone, she's got a whiteboard on the inside of her locker. And there's a message written on it that says, don't forget jazz band after school. Jazz band is like the one thing that she cares about at school. And you got to assume like they practice probably every day after school. What the fuck else is she going to be doing after school? She's bringing that guitar with her and home like she's not gonna forget about fucking jazz band she will if she's crying i don't think that's true i think she just they needed her to have a whiteboard in her locker because kids have that and they're like oh she does jazz band like if it was for a specific like day and time or concert Mm -hmm. or something but it just says don't forget jazz band after school just don't fucking do it kids just don't all this time you spent forgetting it you just didn't have to yeah that's it Thanks to the whiteboard. Little bits. All right, folks, it's going to wrap up little bits. Now, before we get on to our next segment, first, a word from our sponsors. Hey, folks, did you know that we're a couple of corporate whores? We will do whatever you say for money. That's right. We'll give an ad that promises the world to your potential customers for whatever you're trying to sell. Is it true? Doesn't matter. Is it going to work? Still doesn't matter. Give us five bucks. Give us 10 bucks. We'll make all your dreams come true as long as your dreams are limited to having your product hawked on our podcast. But Steve, what if I don't have an advertisement written for you? Well, for a small extra fee, we can write one for you, aka make one up on the spot and half-ass it. That's right, folks. If you have any interest in advertising with us, please, please, please hit us up on our Instagram at That Sounds Terrible Pod. Or find us on Twitter by looking up That Sounds Terrible, go on. Slide into our DMs so we can slide into your ads. We're going to do an ad for you. That's right, folks. Fill our bank accounts so we can line your pockets with that sweet, sweet internet money. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, folks. Man, those ads, I tell you. Terrific. 
I'm going to buy every one of those goods and or services. I'll think about it. As we're moving on to everyone's favorite segment. Oh, the Untitled Ben Affleck segment? That's right, Steve. It's As Played by Ben Affleck. Untitled Ben Affleck segment. Now, for those who've never listened in, As Played by Ben Affleck. Untitled Ben Affleck segment is when we choose one character from the film or TV show we just watched to replace with Ben Affleck. Now, there are three eras of Ben Affleck that we have to choose from. So we choose a character to replace with Ben Affleck, what era, and why. So we have the Goodwill Hunting era, Ben Affleck, which is when he was the indie darling just starting to get into action films. Then we have the Jiggly era, Ben Affleck. That's the rom-coms, starting around the Daredevil film release. Then we have Batfleck era Ben Affleck, where he's older, more chiseled, and he's got that beautiful salt and pepper beard. Now, with that being said, Steve, who are you replacing with Ben Affleck? What era and why? Uh, you know what? Zero regrets. I am replacing Evan Hansen with Batfleck era Ben Affleck, because why not steer into it more? <laughs> keep that beard, <laughs> keep it gray, keep him big and jacked, and change nothing else about it. But have him be dubbed by Evan ha- by uh by Ben Platt. Yeah, actually, I was thinking that. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah, that's that's Better the movie. move. Corey, you know, I was I was also I was wondering, just unrelated, what character would you replace with Ben Affleck? What Aaron? Why? I also decided that we should just fully steer into the fucking ridiculousness of casting yes. somebody older, and I chose to replace uh, Colton Ryan, who plays Connor Murphy, with okay. Batfleck era Ben Affleck. God, because be again, if we're gonna put people who look older than their character. Fucking go. Let's go for it. Balls to the wall, baby. Absolutely. I kind of also just like the idea of just fucking Ben Affleck just in a high school, just like screaming into Ben Platt's face because he's so like literally would be towering over him. Yeah, it's perfect. Love it. Absolutely love it. Tell me, Evan Hansen, do you bleed? You know, from this height, the fall wouldn't kill me. Just break my legs. I'm counting on it. All right, folks. That's going to wrap up As Played by Ben Affleck. And it's going to move us on to our final question here as we finally start wrapping up this fucking pod. Steve, would you watch this film again? Probably not. This is already the second time, and I feel like I've I've gotten all I'm going to get out of it. I'm good. There are better musical movies to watch. Mm. Corey, would you watch this movie again? No, I'm good with it. Same thing. This is the second time I've watched it. I don't ever need to watch this again. I would rather just listen to the sound movie soundtrack over and over. I'd be okay with it. Yeah. If it weren't for some of the musical numbers and Caitlin Dever's performance, this film would just be completely unwatchable. The editing is atrocious. The cinematography is mediocre. And the camera angles feel like just so fucking cookie cutter, but also mm-hmm. off at the same time. It's this really weird mixture that i just feel this was the worst director i shouldn't say it's the worst director this was not the best choice for a director i have no idea why they chose this guy i really other than hey you resonated with teenagers once upon a time that's it yeah the film again does one thing right and its depiction of suicide depression and anxiety and the emotions that you feel while dealing with all of that I just, it's safe to say that because of the source material, it's really the best thing that's translated well from the stage to the big screen are the themes it explores. That being said, listen to the soundtrack, whether it's the Broadway cast or the film, go see the musical. I'm planning to next time it comes through, or maybe I'll travel down to New York City and go see it. Who knows? Either way, like that's high on my list to go see this because I want to experience it in the medium that it should be experienced in. Yeah, I agree. With like musicals, like 
you know, they go on national tours, they go all over the place and it's really hard to keep track of it. So I was just wondering, does anybody have a map? Fresh out. Damn. I got GPS though. Unacceptable. That's going to wrap up Dear Evan Hansen. Yay. Bye Evan Hansen. All right. Now let's never revisit that again. But you know what, Steve, I'm going to be honest. I'm feeling a little. Yeah. Yeah. Are you waxing on nostalgic? That's right, folks. Next week, we're watching Dear Evan Hansen. No, no, never again. 2021 film starring Benjamin Platt. (laughs) Every podcast episode is Dear Evan Hansen now. (laughs) That's right, folks. Next episode, we are tackling the classic 1984 flick, The Karate Kid. I've never seen it. I've never seen any Karate Kid movie or Cobra Kai, for that matter. So it'll be fun. That's right, folks. We're coming at you with some Ralph Macchio, Pat Morita, Elizabeth Shue, and Billy motherfucking Zabka. Show respect where it's due. William Zabka is the karate kid. Hey, 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 hey. Listen, hey. I'm a crane kick you in a minute, all right? Oh, an illegal crane kick? Fuck off. We're gonna we're gonna talk about it next time. Until then, I've been Corey. I was Steve once upon a time, and still am. Bye. Goodbye. It's a podcast, come and listen in, will it ever be good or just always dim? Cause we're tap, tap, tapping on the mic. That sounds terrible, go on. Ooh, I really fucked up that ending there. Future boys!